0: Hello everybody and welcome to Wildstorm Addiction. This is episode 36 for July 2012. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. This month we're going to be getting back on our regular podcast schedule after we did the special you know, culling episode last month. And we had a pretty good amount of downloads for that, so hoping some of you were new listeners that will continue on to listen after that. This month we'll be discussing our normal round of titles, which is Stormwatch number 10, Grifter number 10, Ravagers number two, Voodoo number ten, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the DCU New 52. Uh, we are going to be talking about spoilers. Uh, some of the news that came out is uh, the biggest news was that September is uh, DC's zero month, where all the titles will get a zero issue to fill in some of the gaps that have not yet been explained. You know, between the old universe and the New 52. Uh, Four new titles are coming during the month, and one of them is a Team 7 book. Yay! Awesome. So we get another Wildstorm book introduced into the mix. Uh, It's going to be written by Justin Jordan and art by Jesus Moreno. Uh, The solicitation reads, set in the early days of the DC Comics New 52, threads of the entire DC Universe collide. As Superman emerges, so does the world's countermeasure against him and his kind. Team 7 is compromised of Dinah Lance otherwise known as Black Canary, Amanda Waller, Steve Trevor from Wonder Woman, uh, and some more Wildstorm characters added to the universe. We have John Lynch coming in, and we have Alex Fairchild. It is going to also feature Grifter, which he's just known as Cole Cash at the time, and Slade Wilson, which is Deathstroke. And their story will change everything you know about the the DC Comics New 52. Everybody say, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but unfortunately with this good news comes some bad news as Voodoo number zero will be the last issue of the series. So we all kind of thought that that was coming, but it still kind of sucks that it's happening. So, however grifter did survive this second round of cancellation so we will still have four regular titles featuring wildstorm characters and hopefully some more guest appearances throughout the dcu as we've been seeing so far so so that's good we'll still have enough to do uh, to justify a podcast right ben
1: <laughs> I, I suppose
0: so we don't have to turn it into the Stormwatch addiction podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> not yet
0: hopefully never <laughs> And then one last bit before we get into the uh, reviews. Uh, DC released some advanced trade info for 2013, and uh, they proved to us that they listened to our podcast because they uh, listened to our suggestion, and they're going to put the culling crossover into one trade. That, that's why they're doing that, right, Ben? Because they list us. Uh, so that's exactly why they're doing it. Okay. I just wanted to confirm. So, <laughs> But yeah, in January, we're going to get uh, the trades called the Culling Rise of the Ravagers it collects, you know, the the preludes and the main issues, uh, which is Legion Loss eight and nine, Superboy eight and nine, Teen Titans eight and nine, and Teen Titans Annual number no. one. In February, DC is continuing to surprise us with some old Wildstorm offerings. They are doing a hardcover edition of the Batman Deathblow crossover, uh, which was called After the Fire. It's a three-issue uh, miniseries. Now, the interesting thing I find about that is that I wonder how many people who don't know Wildstorm are going to be kind of confused about this, because for the few people who are reading Grifter know the Deathblow was just introduced, and maybe they're kind of banking on that. I don't know. <laughs> but I know that the whole After the Fire thing, I've never read this one, but didn't it, have you ever read that one?
1: I read it, but I don't remember much about it. This is an odd choice, I think.
0: Yeah, because didn't after the fire, didn't it? It was alluding to the whole uh, fire from heaven crossover because at that point, Deathblow was dead in the old universe, and so this crossover. I mean, it didn't explain him coming back or anything like that, but I thought that was the purpose for the title. I don't know. Like, oh, I never looked at the dates, but it'll be nice to have a little hardcover edition of it because like I said it's only three issues. So,
1: yeah, but they were thick issues to start with. Oh
0: yeah. Okay, maybe we'll get some extra stuff. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, so beyond that, we also get uh, the second volume for the the current Stormwatch title, and this trade's going to be titled Enemies of the Earth, and it collects Stormwatch number 7 through 12 and Red Lanterns number 10, which we're actually going to talk about tonight, and you'll find out why it's included. Uh, We also have uh, one of Warren Ellis' works called Global Frequency, uh, which collects the 12-issue series. Oddly enough, it's listed at a Vertigo, and I think I got an answer for that here in a second when we discuss another one that they're releasing, but we're also getting the second volume of Voodoo, which is the called The Killer in Me, which collects Voodoo number 7 through 12 and the Zero issue, so, you know, really happy that we're getting this, so you guys out there, please pre-order this so they don't cancel it, because we have run into that in the past, so Wallstorm trades getting cancelled because they're not pre-ordered enough, so... In March we're getting Red Lanterns volume 2 which is called The Death of the Red Lanterns and it collects Red Lanterns number 8 through 13 and also Stormwatch number 9 which again we'll discuss in a minute. So and then we're getting a, another big surprise which is the Sleeper series and we're getting an omnibus hardcover for it <laughs> and it collects Point Blank number 1 through 5, which was the prelude. It collects Sleeper Season 1, which is 12 issues. Sleeper Season 2, which was 12 issues. And then these two, which were thrown in there, which I thought was interesting, which is the two parts from the Coup d'etat crossover, which was the Sleeper number 1 issue standalone, and then the Coup d'etat afterward issue. And this is also listed under Vertigo. And somebody brought up at Clark's Bar that they think it's because it's got mature content, so DC wasn't going to release something... They had mature content under their label, God forbid. So
1: <laughs> That actually makes a lot of sense. Especially this this hardcover, which would be an amazing, epic hardcover by the way. Mm-mm. Um,
0: because this was a great series. So yeah and that's and that's all of it right there and then in the two extra issues so and then finally we get the soft cover edition of a t- trade that came out this past year which I think we neglected to mention early in the spring uh, it's called DC Universe by Alan Moore it collects several of his DC works but also collects some of his Wildstorm works which include Wildstorm Spotlight number 1 which is the famous issue with Majestic going to the end of uh into the universe his Voodoo mini series number 1 through 4 which is really good uh, the Deathblow miniseries called Deathblow by Blows, which is just a three-issue miniseries, which i never read because it always seemed really strange. <laughs> and then it has Wildcats number fifty listed, but I'm pretty sure it's just the story that that he did in that issue because there was several short stories in that uh, in that issue. Uh, because of the the hardcover of this tra- trade just came out in March of this year, so. I may have to backtrack and get that. Anyway, so lots of news. So it's, it's good to see that uh, DC is recognizing that there's a lot of good stuff in the old Wildstorm universe. And I'm glad that they continue to release this. So just keep snatching it up. You know, Use whatever you have to Amazon, discount comic book service, in-stock trades. Save yourself some money because it's going to get expensive. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Thank you, Joe. Uh, let's go into the reviews first up we have Stormwatch number 10 released on june sixth, written by peter milligan with art by ignacio calero and cover by miguel sepulveda this issue it really starts with a recap there was a lot going on uh in the last couple issues and you know writers were bouncing around so now that we're you know solely under peter milligan you know he he Kind of gives us a little quick reset at the beginning here with uh, the engineer, and she's basically discussing about the history of Stormwatch and how you know they were set up to be Earth's protector from alien invasions, and uh, she's talking about the the superhuman arms race that's happening and how they seem to be you know spread throughout all of the world but kind of clustered in North America, and and she's kind of throwing out all these questions to the to the reader about about all the super beings that they're kind of keeping watch over and trying to learn more of um you know she's she's wondering you know can they reproduce you know what are what is the evolutionary dead end of the human race and of the superhumans that they keep growing in population and it's basically everything that she's trying to to seek out all those answers, she's trying to, or all those questions that she's trying to get answered, um, as she's now the new leader of Stormwatch for the time being. Basically, she goes to the the point that you know the Earth depends on Stormwatch to get these answers and and continue to protect the the human population. Next, she goes to Hawksbor, who's in Gotham City and she's kind of put everybody out there in different locations to kind of gather some information on superhumans. And she sends Hawksmore to Gotham city to get the truth of the growing myth of the Batman and Hawksmore is down there and he's speaking to engineer and he just basically says, you know, the spirits can't stop talking about owls and it's a plug to the night of the owls crossover that the Batman series has been having right now. And, uh, He decides to change his metabolism to blend in to the scenery to get some more information on the locale. And we go back to the engineer, and she's talking about Justice League types and and other super beings. And she goes to uh, Martian Manhunters, who's in India. He's talking about a goddess, Kali, in the area. And then we go over to Apollo and Midnighter, and they're heading to Metropolis to look into the Superman super being. As they uh, are arguing on a rooftop somewhere in Metropolis, and you can tell that Apollo is kind of upset about something, they quickly get diverted by the engineer to uh, go to France.
0: He's upset because Superman flew by too fast to take a picture. (laughs) I just thought it was funny that they couldn't actually show Superman... I was like, is this like a legal issue? It's like if they show him, they owe him royalties, you know? <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was funny.
1: You would have thought they
0: would have sold more issues. I know, right? <laughs>
1: For all the collectors out there. But good good point. There is just a red streak in the sky, and that's all all you really see of that. Um, so anyways, the engineer sends uh, Apollo and Midnighter to France to check something out that's happening, and... We go to an archaeological dig in France, and basically, what what we find is a professor and his assistant dig up something futuristic. Even though they're doing a dig from the eighteen hundreds or the seventeen hundreds or something like that, it's something that is definitely not in the time period that it should be. And it's a it almost looks like a a bell or a, or a helmet
0: of some sort. I thought for a second that the girl who was unearthing in it was Fairchild. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. She, she has glasses and is a redhead, so
0: it was kind of funny. He called her Candace. I was like, damn. Oh well. So much for the crossover.
1: <laughs> so anyways, they unearth this thing and the professor takes it into his uh, trailer and he's, he's inspecting it and looking at it and he finds a button on the side and he hits it and it basically takes over him and, and soon find out what happens, but Basically, uh, all of Stormwatch goes to France and find themselves um, in the aftermath
0: of a bloodbath. Wait, before you continue, you're not even going to comment on the fact that a college professor, someone who probably has a doctorate, took it upon himself to click a button on an alien device (laughs) and is probably pretty surprised that something bad happened. You're not not even going to mention
1: that. (laughs) I thought that was kind of odd, too. But whatever. (laughs) We'll let that go. So even before they uh, encounter the bloodbath as they're walking through the door into the scene, uh, the engineer sets it up really quick and just talks about what this device was because she apparently knew from the knowledge base that the Eye of the Storm has. But um, she calls it a freno module, uh, which was activated 20 minutes ago. And for the first time in 248 years. So this is what they're uh, they're walking into. And apparently these things should have all been uh, in the danger caches that are set up. So apparently they missed one. And even Midnighter points that out and was like, uh, Stormwatch is fallible? <laughs> and uh, pretty much since the start of Stormwatch, you can kind of clearly see that Stormwatch is fallible, but whatever. I thought that was kind of an inside joke that he was kind of throwing out there for us. but Men are joking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right away, Jenny Quantum's like, hey, uh, the Earth's moving, guys, and it's not just the squirming of the dead bodies that are underneath their feet. The professor in his weird uh, energized form uh, from the P-Module is what they shortened it to, thank God. Um <laughs> <laughs> Pops up out of the ground and scares the crap out of Jenny Quantum. Right away, Apollo takes off after him and, you know, ignores every, the engineer's warning and goes after him and kind of gets electrocuted by hitting him. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> it looks really cool, though. And the engineer's kind of uh, thrown off a little bit, and Midnighter calls her out and is like, uh, I thought you were supposed to be our leader. Why don't you lead? She's like, I'm thinking here. All of a sudden, Apollo kind of uses a burst of energy, and uh, quickly we find out he calls it the Halo effect, which he may have used this before, but I don't think they threw
0: a name to it. Do you remember him
1: naming that power before, Joe?
0: No. I guess, is he talking about doing this with that big creature in, like, issue six, where Midnighter charges him up and it just basically explodes?
1: That's what I expect that he learned it from then. I mean, obviously, you know, when they first uh, brought Apollo on, he didn't really know all of his powers, you know, until
0: he was part of this team. Yeah. Didn't they make a comment early on that he just was going after, like, muggers and (laughs) job molesters? Kind of overkill.
1: (laughs) Anyways, uh, the engineer gets kind of upset. At Apollo for going off like that and and not even listening to her, and she's like, "I th- I should throw you off the team for being so hot headed." And he's like, uh, "Anything to get you off my back." And he does a uh, an electrical field so that all communication in the area goes off. And he he's basically like, "You know, you can't throw me off. I'm I'm irreplaceable. You can't have this team without me." And she's like, "I can't." have this team without any of you guys. None of us are irreplaceable. So there's definitely a chip on his shoulder this this issue and I think they're going to address it later on. Engineer then tells Midnighter to go in and get the P-Module and uh, collect it for them. You know, The Engineer explains a little bit about uh, how the Shadow Lords um, who created Stormwatch, they actually created the P modules and this gets a little weird but we're gonna go back to that in a second as we move over to antarctica where harry tanner and the projectionists are hiding out basically harry tanner has obviously used his his influence to um get the Projectionist on his side for now because she is a little feisty to say the least he wants her to use her powers to basically um know where Stormwatch is and how close they are to finding him which in the last couple issues since he's been gone you know it I'm sure that Harry Tanner's on their mind but they don't seem to be dealing with him at all so it's funny that he's still worried about them his control over her is odd but anyways he he does whip out his sword and, and shave off his fingernails for, if that helps anything
0: <laughs> creep yeah <laughs> Yeah, I guess it just seems like it's more like intimidation, because, I mean, he could basically kill her if he wanted to, so...
1: Right, well, her powers aren't in physical form in any way, really. Um, and then we move over to the Iron Heights Penitentiary, where we uh, meet Fox, who was the fall guy for uh, the moon incident from the very first three issues of Stormwatch. And basically, Harry Tanner goes after him, because he knows that he's... a uh, he has powers of his own that he can manipulate
0: and use. Yeah, that was an interesting thread that he that he pulled up from earlier issues cuz that was kind of like a a kind of a com- comedic moment that Paul Cornell put in his run, the whole thing with the fox and the moon.
1: Yeah, exactly. I did not expect him to bring him back, honestly. Meanwhile, in France, if you've ever watched Sex and the City and I know I feel stupid by telling you guys that I've seen Sex in the City. They use, they use that interjection constantly, and that's what it reminded me of. Meanwhile, in France, Stormwatch is beating the crap out of Crazy Guy.
0: <laughs> and Carrie goes to buy a new pair of shoes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Anyways, uh, Midnighters ran across the P-Module because the engineer told him to go collect it, and he is even trying to be controlled by it. And uh, Jenny Quantum comes in and, and realizes what's going on, and Midnighter's asking for her help, asking her to make it stop, because he's doing everything in his power to to kind of keep it from taking over him. And she's pretty snarky about it because of what he wanted to do to her in a issue or two ago, which was to kill her. And uh, even after this altercation, he even says, man, I really should have killed you, because... Uh, her explanation was, well, it was beyond me. I don't know. I, honestly, they're they're just making stuff up now. <laughs> Either that or I'm too dumb to read Peter <laughs> Milligan's work.
0: <laughs> I think that's a prerequisite to write Stormwatch. It's like, you know, DC mandates you must have crazy sci-fi stuff. The crazier the better. So they were
1: able to subdue the uh, professor, and they brought him back to the Eye of the Storm. And... Uh, Engineer and uh, Martian Manhunter are looking over him, and now they uh, go and they start to, to discuss uh, what was going on. And the engineer is Mrs. Wikipedia at this point, and she's going through what the P module, how, why the P modules were created from the the Shadow Lords that created uh, Stormwatch, and she explains that at one point Stormwatch. Came out to the world, and <laughs> I, I say that for a reason. Came out to the world and let the world know that what they were as an organization, and that they were meant to keep Earth uh, from killing itself, and and to protect it from invasion and and other superhuman mm-hmm. beings that may may cause the Earth to end. But basically, they created the P modules because coming out to the world was a bad idea and so they created them to help uh, to give them to super powerful countries at the time, but basically what happened is it it created a war and, and after that it it even created a, a worse war later on several years later um, but from that point on, you know, the world forgot about Stormwatch and, and now their secret's safe at this point, and They thought they got all those modules, but apparently this one they missed. So now they have it in their possession.
0: I thought it was interesting that of all the wars, you know, to reference, he picks the French and Indian War as the one that escalated before they finally got rid of the knowledge of Stormwatch. (laughs) Because it's such a small, I mean, it's it's funny to call a war small, but (laughs) compared to some of the other ones that happened later, you know, like the two world wars and everything that comes in the 20th century. Even the Civil War, you know, was bigger than that. Pick a war. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but then she make a comment that it took like almost 200 years to really clean up the mess or something like that.
1: Yes, which is far earlier than, you know, this new team's
0: existence. 30 years, sorry. They did it faster than I gave them credit for, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay.
1: Anyways, uh, Apollo and Midnighter have the P-Module and the unpowered P-Module thanks to Jenny Quantum, Um, and they're taking it to one of their danger caches. Midnighter calls out Apollo and is like, what's been bugging you? (laughs) I'm skirting around the issue. Apollo's just frustrated because um, he now has the strength and the resolve that he can now come out to his family and the world that he's a, a gay man, and now that he's part of Stormwatch, and now that Stormwatch can't be known by the human population he's now having to keep that secret so he can't even come out to the people that he loves and others when he really wants to and now that he has the strength to do so he can't so it's just frustrating him and you could see that he's actually getting enraged and shaking with the thought now that he has the ability to he can't and he's not able to because of the organization that he's part of and you know, you'd think that this would be an, a perfect opportunity for Midnighter to kind of handle that situation and console him, and and he just kind of lets it go and and
0: loses that opportunity. Yeah, they didn't give him tactical advantage in the battlefield <laughs> of love. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> well put. <laughs> I don't know. An odd issue. I don't know that it got us anywhere. And I guess it's a little bit of a reset and a, a, a setup for things to come with uh, Harry Tanner here in the future, and also the Shadow Lords that basically run Stormwatch from behind the scenes. Good overall, but you know, an okay issue by Stormwatch standards from the beginning, in my opinion. What did you think about it, Joe?
0: Yeah, I kind of felt the same way, and you know, we're going to talk about here in a little while about Red Lanterns number ten which to me was the unofficial Stormwatch issue of this month, <laughs> you know. Because this one, yeah, it was it was it was kind of a lot of just I mean, the battle between them and the professor in his monster form, it was just one of those that even though it was action, when I think back to the issue I just kinda of feel like it was pretty light on the action. Which is fine, you know, because Stormwatch is it's not really supposed to be a completely action title, but we've had a pretty good mix in the past and 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 the the history of everything was interesting, because uh, like I said, yeah, the the whole you know relating the French Indian War and all that, that's pretty cool because it goes along with what they've been saying all along is that they've been in the world way before the superheroes started to emerge, because when you really look at DC's history, you know obviously you've got Demon Knights now as part a big part of DC's past, you've got Vandal Savage, which I know he's he's still a character that exists. So, I mean, I don't know my, that much about the DC Universe's past, as far as Earth is concerned, I mean. So so this is cool that uh, that they are incorporating Stormwatch more and more into their past. But yeah, just overall, uh, kind of a light issue, I guess. And But it did set up a lot of interesting things that hopefully will, will come to fruition later. I think in the preview for the next one, I think we see another P-Module, I'm not sure. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And yeah, the whole thing with Apollo was kind of interesting because um, it is kind of true. Yeah, the whole he got to he had to keep that you know his homosexuality for secret for so long, and then he finally came to terms with that, and it's like, oh, you get to be part of a secret supergroup, not just you know a supergroup, but a secret one. <laughs> you know, it's not like you get to be part of the Justice League where you're in the, the the spotlight all the time. So
1: I actually think that point's interesting because over the last month, you know. Both DC and Marvel were making headlines um, by outing certain super characters, superhuman characters. And, you know, as Wildstorm readers and fans, we've known Apollo and Midnighter as being homosexual for a long time. And it was kind of funny to me that Apollo is frustrated because he can't let anybody know that oh, at the yeah. same time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is kind of an interesting position. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's what a lot of people were like, you know. So what about Alan Scott? What about Midnighter and Apollo? You know. <laughs> but yeah, decent issue. Look forward to see what where it goes next. So. But let's go ahead and move on to our next comic, which is Grifter number ten, which was released on June the thirteenth. Written by Rob Liefeld and Frank Terry, with art by Scott Clark and cover by Rob Liefeld. This issue sparked some interesting discussions this month <laughs> no that i didn't anticipate <laughs> let's just say i got our podcast some attention but it wasn't positive attention <laughs> but before we get into all that let's let's review the issue <laughs> so we continue pretty much right where the last one left off where grifter has met the resistance uh you know which includes deathblow and cheshire and and a few other grunts, I guess you could say. And for now, according to the way it starts off, they've basically just been jumping from safe house to safe house, which, you know, it's interesting. I think they're still – wait, before I get the mountain range wrong again, <laughs> they're in the Alps, right? <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> I've,
1: I've, I've lost track at this point. Okay.
0: <laughs> the Swiss Alps, there we go. <laughs> um you know they're kind of giving them an all- the the other the other grunts are giving them a hard time. You know because they're like you know well you're still-
1: they're heroes, Joe. They're not grunts. Yeah. They're heroes. <laughs> they just don't get games. When, when the
0: Daemonites attack in a little while, you remind me <laughs> how many of them are heroes when we see how many of them are still alive in a little bit. Would um, <laughs> you prefer con- cannon fodder? I'll try to be nice. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so they give him a hard time. You know about the whole him being the chosen one thing and. Um, I'm kinda of glad that, as we're going through here i I'm noticing scott clark's arts back back to its uh original what I consider his his style, you know, because, like I said whatever it was last issue, I don't know what it was, but it kind of lost it there in some of the panels but here, just little details like when he's talking to Shesharis, he's got kind of that got kind of that weird uh headphone type thing you know around his head i mean I'm not really sure what the purpose is, but it looks cool so you know, is basically telling you know not to let the other guys get to him, and so on and so forth. And then, of course, shortly after that, they uh, get attacked by the Damonites. <laughs> I just so want to comment on what I wanted to talk about, but let me get through this issue first.
1: <laughs> Good luck
0: with that. So, so we get attacked, and you know, the Daemonites are raining chaos down on them, and it's the uh, it's the warrior class again. As the survivors jump from the uh, the burning wreckage of their vehicle, now we get a really awesome scene of Deathblow jumping out with a Gatling gun and starting to mow down some of the Daemonites. I thought that was a beautiful panel. <laughs> it was just so cool to see Deathblow in action again. Agreed, with a big ass gun. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> and again, you know, I'm just I'm gonna kind of be flipping between story and art because, like I said, I was just really happy to see scar clark in his form again because just as we're going on you know these big close ups of deathblow and it's just i mean there's the speed lines going on and it seems like it's just them three who have survived but then apparently one of the one of the soldiers how about that Wakam we'll soldiers yeah that's <laughs> uh, named buck uh, is still alive so deathblow you know heads over to to help him and you know one of the warriors catches up to the scene and is about to take blow out, and thankfully Grifter's there to take out the warrior class. You know, this warrior class, for being the next step up, they just, they're dying real easy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, now we're up to four survivors, and they're trying their best to, to get away, and basically, Sheshire finally calls Grifter out, and is like, you know, if you don't start acting like the man we need you to be, basically, we're all dead for all intents and purposes, so... So basically she tells Grifter to man up and and so he uh he takes off, you know, guns blazing and we still got the warrior class coming and then Grifter proceeds to do something that was kind of the, the WTF moment for a lot of people across the net <laughs> when as I was reading the reviews. He takes out one of the warrior class and he his guns stay floating in midair by themselves. And then after that he like calls for some of the other guns around him, and he just has this huge tapestry of guns floating around him, and they're just firing. And that's how he continues to take out the Damonites. And if that's not enough, then he uses more powers that we didn't know about. He, he uses the the flaming wreckage to throw it at the remaining warrior class and crush, you know, pretty much the rest of them. And so between that, you know, and then he uses the same wreckage to shove the rest of them off a cliff and then he just turns to uh and's like so am i worth it yet <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile the rest of us are like what just happened
1: <laughs> i call that his bruce leroy moment Bruce for leroy. <laughs> those, yeah for those that don't know the last dragon which is one of the most epic 80s movies ever um <laughs> He's got the glow right there. And he's he's <laughs> yeah. basically doing whatever he needs to do. It's awesome. Yes. Awesome or lame. <laughs> you decide.
0: <laughs> well we're almost at the end of the issue, so we'll comment on that in a second here. But yeah, so they make it to another safe house and they're kind of trying to regroup and and uh but before they can regroup we get the introduction of a new villain. Uh his name is Singe, and he basically looks like Backlash from hell, basically, <laughs> and I know a lot of people were not really keen on his design. It's just kind of, I don't know, blah. But we'll see what happens next issue. Um, but yeah, that was the latest issue of Grifter, and um, let me just go into what, what 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 transpired between me and the writer. <laughs> um, so you know, I posted my which writer uh, Frank Terry. So I posted my review as normal, right? Well, you know, I took it upon myself to call out the dialogue for being cheesy, right? Well, Frank didn't like that (laughs) and called me out on it. And Rob Liefeld commented too, but he just made one comment and then he didn't join the conversation after that. So basically, I was tweeting back and forth with Frank and I'm like, okay, so the fact that I don't like your dialogue, you know, negates the fact that I actually kind of liked the whole twist with Grifter's powers. And, you know, he was like, well, you know, it wasn't my favorite part of your review. He's like, but... You know, he's like, we're all entitled to our opinion, and I was like, well, we're just curious. You know, where's all this coming from? Where's the, where's the, the snarkiness coming from? And he said that it's DC mandating them that they have to give Grifter more of a personality, and that they have to ramp up the action. Those were their mandates, and he says he feels that like that's what they've done. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair enough. I can see, you know, DC's forcing y'all to do that, you know, I can kind of see that because. You know, it's it's a weird mixture of you know the old grifter. And I'm talking like when he first came out. You know that he he was kind of snarky, and you know like we've talked about before. There are some writers who write him that way, and there's some writers who write him like they did in Wildcats and in Wildcats 3.0, where he's a little bit more serious. Joe Casey. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was just, <laughs> and the whole thing with the powers. Depending on how they how they cover this in teams in the Team Seven book, because you know those of us know that the old grifter did have powers very similar to this because of of being exposed to the Gen Factor in Team Seven in the original Wallstrom universe. So this was not a stretch in that respect, but I can see how readers who don't know the old universe are like, what. Just happen, you know. Where did this come from, and why hasn't he been doing this all along? You know. So hopefully these are things that'll be addressed. I mean, it it was kind of cool, but my only thing is, I hope that just like in the Wallstrom universe, the reason he didn't do stuff like that all the time is because it hurt him. You know, and I I liked the he had a, a penalty for doing it. So I hope that that's addressed here. Because if not, then what's the point of him ever touching a gun again? You know, he could just use these powers. And that kind of kills the grifter character, in my opinion. But for now, this was this was a, a better issue, you know, than the last one. I'm still kind of worried because, like I said, I don't have any faith in that villain that's coming out for the next issue. But we'll wait and see. On the good side is is that uh, this title did have a uh, like a thousand issue increase between this and all the titles that Lifel jumped on. So wow, yeah. So people are giving it a try we'll see where the next we'll see where this issue sits in the rankings next month and hey you know i'm just glad that frank was willing to talk openly you know he did take a little personal at first you know but then he was willing to talk after that so i do appreciate that because yeah i mean he has to know that you know you're going to come across i mean you know, like one of the guys at the Clarks barboard was talking about, you know, having, that he's loving this. I think his screen name is Tweeter. And, and I was like, cool, you know, you love it. That's fine. You know, but I just don't, you know, I've been following this character for over 15 years now. And, you know, it's like anybody else who's followed Batman or Superman for so long, do you kind of have this idea of what this character is supposed to be like, you know? And yes, I know this is a new version and all that. And if they hadn't done such a such a 180 with his personality from the from Nathan's Edmison's run to this one, I still would have been like, okay, fine, it's a new grifter. But like we talked about last issue, this is like a number one, or this would be like issue two, <laughs> you know? It's like a new series, basically. It's not the same grifter we were following in the first eight issues. So if it wasn't for that, yeah, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, he's snarky foot. That's, that's fine with me. You know, we started that way, let's continue that way. So I definitely enjoyed it more, but uh, still... Kind of, like, hopefully this whole power thing will go somewhere interesting. So, what do you think, (laughs) Ben? I'm really interested to see what they do with
1: the number zero issue for Grifter. Because you can obviously tell, you know, Voodoo's going away and a lot of other titles are going away. And I think they're really, really throwing everything at Grifter so that Grifter doesn't fade away as well. Obviously, since these two issues feel like a totally new... Uh, Beast and number one and number two. You're absolutely right on that. It's funny, though, now that I think about it and I actually made that joke about, you know, The Last Dragon, if they are intending it to be serious, but it just comes out so ridiculously cheesy, I can almost get behind that because I mean I wouldn't love The Last Dragon if they weren't you could tell the filmmakers were trying to be serious but it just didn't come out that way and it's one of my favorite movies ever so it, hey if if it continues going like that and at some point I can just let it go and be like okay it's cheesy I'll deal with it who knows but <laughs> it's the fact that they're you know they're trying to be serious and it clearly does not read serious at all and ramping up the action, one of my big complaints about even Nathan's run was that there was so much action that you never got a chance to be like, dude, you've been running around the world like a crazy madman. Like You don't even know who you are. You don't know why you're running around. And you haven't taken two seconds to sleep, let alone eat, and that they're being mandated to ramp up the action even more. I'm like, good God, this guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm. Th- I'm thinking DC told Nathan that before the end of his run I think that's why we had such a huge shift when Kafu left as artist and we got Scar Clark I mean that has to be it I mean it was it's it's almost like three different books when you really look at it
1: oh well uh, let's lay that aside and uh, go into Ravagers number two which was released on June 13th written by Howard Mackey and art and cover by Ian Churchill and I'm going to go through this one a little bit quick because we are going a little long on this episode um, but really this, this issue starts out just off the last one where they fill off the cliff with a literal cliffhanger, um, into the, uh, Antarctic ocean and they're on a little, little chunk of floating ice, a little iceberg of their own. And we get like a, a journal inside Caitlin's head and she's explaining, you know, the, the events of the culling and the events of the last issue where they were running from their lives from, uh, Warblade and Rose Wilson and uh really they're just uh floating in the ocean and it's the the waves are crashing around them and it's raining and they're freezing and she turns to um Ridge and's like hey and they're all commenting that nobody trusts each other and all four of them are huddled on this little ice cube out in the middle of the ocean and she turns to Ridge and's like if you want to help out now's your chance she basically has Ridge jump into the ocean and and help float their little uh, ice towards a, a passing a ocean line or a barge or a, a freighter, basically, is what it is. He, in the process, learns that he can breathe underwater or at least hold his breath for a very long time. And during that, we move over to Mongolia for some more mountains. And uh, we are introduced to a new character here. And let me see if I can get his stinking name right. Um... Talking about Keeper? Yeah. Warblade and Rose Wilson drop off uh, Bright Eyes and their other capture, Windshear. Who survives somehow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was really surprised to see that they were still alive. So Keeper is creepy. Uh, Did we see Keeper in the last issue?
0: Oh, no. I definitely remember that guy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he's weird. He's this big, huge dude, and, and he has a small bionic creepy old guy on the front. It's very reminiscent of Total Recall. And they're talking to him like everything's normal. And something else that's cool about this this one page is that we see Warblade without his mask on. And you can definitely tell that he is a teenager because he just looks like a normal kid. So With no green hair.
0: No, almost gray. With green eyes, though.
1: <laughs> and then we go to Harvest himself he is discussing where the Beast Boy is, and he's talking about how he, his plans are coming through with you know Caitlin scattering all the kids, and, and she's not really a concern, not yet anyway. And he is about to send somebody else after the kids, and that would be Shadow Walker. And this is a new character for us that may have been introduced one other time. No, nah, he's new for this issue. Gosh, there's so many freaking characters. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> so he's creepy and he seems to steal souls or something like that because he had a he had a teenager with with him at the point and she was the one that let, let Beast Boy out. He basically let Chat, Harvest let Shadow Walker feed on her. So that was kind of cool and changes her into a corpse. And next we go to Seattle, Washington, just off a port, and that must be where the freighter left the kids off. So Ridge is here, and Thunder and Lightning and Caitlin are all here. And this is the part where I'm going to start breezing through, because we're way beyond. Basically, the kids are all there, they all scatter, Thunder and Lightning go off on their own, and who do they run across but Shadow Walker. And he basically has a little low jack on all of the kids and they didn't realize it, but they're on their suits. So a little bit of him is on all the kids containment suits, all those fancy Tron like neon suits that they've all been wearing around. And so basically he is coursing lightning to, um, get Caitlin back or get him in front of Caitlin and Ridge so that he can get all the kids at once. And, uh, Caitlin and Ridge go off and they're talking about their lot in life about, you know, how Caitlyn's not able to, she doesn't know what the hell she's doing, basically, <laughs> running this group. They see uh, Lightning's uh, signal off in the distance and they go running after her. Basically, she set a trap for them and fries both Ridge and, and Caitlyn with her, uh, her lightning fell right into Shadow Walker's traps, and basically he has a uh, thunder in his clutches, and and now he is a uh, has Ridge and Caitlyn who are unconscious from from lightning's uh zap, so to speak. Shadow Walker starts to go after uh, lightning, and thunder decides to finally uh, go off and and somehow free himself from Shadow Walker's little mummy. Shadow's thing that he had him wrapped up in, and this is where it gets even more weird as uh Ridge was told that Shadow Walker had that weird uh thing on their containment suits, so he's like, uh you deserve this for kind of screwing us over uh lightning, and Ridge goes after her and rips those off her chest. Which was weird. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it hurt, but it was also odd that he would
0: grab and lunge for her chest. <laughs> just going to say. Well, at, least the, at least the modules weren't you know, a few inches lower, than she really would have been hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um, and basically, Lightning takes those modules and powers them up and sends them after Shadow Walker, who was supposed to be a pretty badass and was... The first Ravager, I guess. Um, one of the first Ravagers that uh, Harvest had created. And uh, sends them right into Shadow Walker. And he kind of blows up from the inside. And then we go back to uh, Caitlin's uh, inner monologue. How she really has no control of what's going on. And basically that these kids... Uh, they don't really know how to behave anymore out in the real world uh after being part of harvest and and nowhere system as they you know were attacking others from the last issue and stuff like that the last page i almost feel like uh there's a little bit of um the 30 days of nights crossover and uh x-files that we read and uh all you see is blood 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 and it's a beast boy dreaming uh about death and and a new character that we're going to be introduced to soon, which is the, uh, his name is Blood Brother, or Brother Blood. That's who we're going to see next in the Church of Blood. And after this, we get uh, some some behind the scenes, some sketches and some character studies of, of the Blood Brother and a new character um, that we're going to see later on, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad that they keep doing this in the Ravagers issues to... To keep us
0: going and keep us looking forward uh, into their future, out of nowhere's grasp. Yeah, Brother Blood, if I'm not mistaken, is an old Teen Titans villain. So it's int- this is his introduction into the the New Fifty Two. So, so there should be some fans that should be happy about that who haven't given up on Teen Titans because none of the Titans are in the, that book. <laughs> we do have two of the Titans here with us in Ravagers, uh, you know, Beast Boy and uh, Terra. So it just Kind of a quick side note, because I'm curious that this is why Harvest is interested in Beast Boy. But in the New 52, the reason Beast Boy is red is because part of the mythos now is that there's three factions, and this has been dealt with in Animal Man and Swamp Thing, is that all the animals are basically are called the red, you know, because of the red meat and all that or whatever. You know, that it's just like a theme that they come up with for them to have all that in common. Then there's the green, which is, you know, swamp thing and anything having to do with plant life. And then there's the rot, which is the, basically the black, you know, like the evil part. And they all feed off of one another. It's kind of like the circle of life. You know, like the, the animals eat the grass, the grass turns into rot, and so on and so forth. So I'm just curious if they're going to use that with the reason as to why harvest wants Beast Boy in particular. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, didn't know if you knew all that. I no, think, I didn't. You know. That's really cool. Yeah, that's why it helps to have friends who are reading other titles, because <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't know any of that. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm really loving this book. I love Ian Churchill's art. I love the way he draws Fairchild. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely really good at creating characters. I mean, yeah, Keeper is really creepy. Shadow Walker is really creepy. And um, it's interesting that, you know, it's a team book, and so far this team it just keeps falling apart worse and worse. You know, we had two more members just about to leave. And so it'd be interesting to show, you know, how they finally come together. Um, And I'm glad that uh, they're not in a hurry to put this team together because, you know, you don't want to ever have that to be too convenient. So I'm just, I'm just glad. I mean, I'm obviously glad to have Fairchild in the book, but these other characters are interesting and it's good that it's a mixture of new and old. I hope you guys are following this title because it's, it's just it's a fun title,
1: yeah, I feel like all the titles that we review are about teams that are falling apart
0: <laughs> or books that are falling apart. <laughs> thats too, so anyway, so yeah, so let's move on to one of the books that's fallen apart, <laughs> which is Voodoo, <Vudu. laughs> but not because of the creative team, just because people aren't buying it, so. But Voodoo Number 10 was released on June the 27th, uh, written by Josh Williamson with art by Sammy Basri and cover by Paulo Siciera. You know, we've been talking about the covers, and this one was actually pretty good. I actually heard somebody kind of complain that the early solicitation showed this cover just with Voodoo in the middle, and all the those daemonite orc things were in the background, you know, kind of subtle, you know, all monotone. And then this issue, you see they've obviously colored them, and he was complaining about it because he said it became too busy and I'm like I don't know it it looked kind of cool so but yeah I was wondering I was like oh look Voodoo's landed on Mordor the orcs are attacking her <laughs> <laughs> so you know we continue on where the last issue picked up where you know we be, we begin what I call the Voodoo in Space adventure <laughs> where she's headed to Europa the sixth moon of Jupiter and headed to what's what Hellspawn told her was called the Dead City of the Damonites and and uh, there's supposed to be some weapon there that she's supposed to collect that'll help him, you know, take over Earth, basically. And when she arrives, you know, there's these all these creatures there that she identifies as Daemonites, but they have a totally different look from the regular class, the warrior class, any class that we've seen so far. <laughs> they look nothing like them. And she gives a couple of, I don't know, these are explanations or theories. I mean, her theory is, is they're cannibals, Uh, And that's why they look that way. And then one of the Knights will give a different reason later, which I'm still kind of questioning, but, you know, basically she's trying to figure out how to get in to the dead city and before she can even consider it, you know, they capture her, you know, going to take her to their leader. Meanwhile, trying to catch up to her in space is Priscilla and Lincoln. What was his name? Lincoln, whatever book I'm in, it comes to a
1: screeching halt. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Where
1: are they gonna put me next time, Lincoln? I have shades.
0: Yeah, but it's him and this little elite team of black razors that are going after Voodoo, and um, you know, they're as they're trying to catch up. You know, they're starting to question why they even doing this, and then you know, there's dissension among the ranks, and. Andrew Lincoln is his name, by the way. <laughs> Andrew Lincoln's trying to keep them all in line, and so you're kind of just having the kind of classic quarrel. You know, he's trying to get him to stand down, and meanwhile, Voodoo's. I mean, uh, Priscilla's like, you know, you know, basically cut it out. I'm trying to fly us, you know, through space. You know, you don't want to distract me, and they end up tossing one of the guys. You know, into her and knocking her out, and so basically, that's they've knocked out their pilot, so they have no way to steer the ship anymore. But lucky for them, the ship was almost at Europa, so it starts crashing towards the planet. Back at the the ore camp, <laughs> they bring out their leader, who his name sparked some interesting conversations on Clark's bar. Uh, his name is Maul Stone or yeah, Mallstone. And we were like, "Is that supposed to be like a nod to Maul from the Wildcats? You know, whose name was Jeremy Stone?" I thought the same thing, <laughs> and I didn't read the boards. I was like, "Oh, that's weird." So basically, you know, uh, she's demanding that they let her go, and apparently, you know, you know he he detects that uh, that she's Daemonite, and basically keeps starts taunting her because he's like, you know, I assume you're a failed Daemonite experiment, and that of course that pisses her off, and so she starts fighting him and you know he's he's pretty huge compared to her and he, she's holding her own pretty well and then then she decides to shapeshift into Hellspawn and tell them that you know that he sent her and that alone finally uh, gets them to stop because apparently they're loyal to Hellspawn never once do they consider that she could be lying <laughs> <laughs> nope but uh <laughs> tells them that uh she needs that weapon for Hellspawn and so he decides to take her to the to the gates where the weapon is contained then just then it's when uh when the ship with the black razors and priscilla crash land uh near the city amazingly they all survive but no sooner do they get out of the ship and they're surrounded by the by the other daemonites and uh mallstone basically explains that they're the daemonite worker class so i guess i can see that isn't that what the the caribou did with Maul's people, the titanotropes, weren't they the working class? Yes. Okay, so I thought that was kind of an interesting throwback to to the old the old series, uh, if that's okay. Except in this case, it's the Daemonites who have the working class. They're arguing about this whole prophecy thing that that Hellspawn has been going after, and that Voodoo believes, you know, that she can help with. And he brings her to the to the gates where they where the weapon they call the Blue Flame is it's guarded by uh, two statues from the movie The NeverEnding Story <laughs> and, uh, well actually those were female in that movie but it, was, it reminded me of that idea you know that uh, that these things you know, they're just called centurions and you know he's like you know no, but only only someone who's worthy can pass and he grabs two of his warriors and he's like here you know give our guest a show <laughs> and basically throws them in the way of the centurions and they come alive and they grab the daemonite and just rip them apart <laughs> and Mulstone's like ah, I never liked them anyway <laughs> so i thought that was a pretty pretty funny moment kind of gruesome gruesomely funny but it was funny he basically taunts her to to go ahead and see if she's worthy and and so she she believes you know that she is and that by the time she gets towards the centurions they start to move and are about to attacker and i love her in her monologue she's like i believe in myself and my faith in hellspot will not bend and then they start coming to life and she's like i'm learning to hate you hellspot (laughs) (laughs) so you know we're left with the cliffhanger of will they kill her will they not kill her and how many people want to guess that they're not going to kill her any any takers (laughs) but um decent issue is one of those where again i kind of wonder if Williamson knew that the title was already ending by the time he did this one because it just didn't seem to have as much energy as his early issues. I mean, his early issues, they were just like, you know, you know, Revelation and cliffhangers that were crazy and and then these last couple of issues, they just kind of seemed to slow down, so you know, it's kind of funny keeping that kind of stuff in the back of your mind as you're reading, you know, because you know what's going on in the real world, I guess you could say, you know, behind the scenes with the editors and all that and canceling books and it, but it really kind of gives you perspective of well, if you're a writer, and they basically call you up one day and say, "Hey, you know, your book's ending," you know, you're really going to be motivated to, <laughs> to really put your all into it like you did when you first started. You know what I mean? That, that's kind of the the sense I got from Edmondson on Grifter and from here on Williamson. And I could be totally wrong on both accounts, but that's just the way it seems. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> no, I know
1: that you didn't you didn't rate this one. As high as the others have been either, and there, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of problems with this issue. I love Sammy's artwork, you know we talked about that from the start, but this issue wasn't nearly as strong, especially with all the characters that he had to do in the uh, in the spaceship as they were heading towards Europa. but for some reason, this issue stuck out to me, and I just enjoyed it. And maybe it was the goofy humor that was put into it. And, you know, when those two guys got torn in half, it cracked me up. I mean, (laughs) uh, something about this issue was just fun for me, even though there were so many problems with it. uh, Why does Priscilla not need a mask in the middle of this? Obviously, it's a vacuum. We don't know what the, the atmosphere is on that moon, but I would think her being mostly human would be an issue and she's the only one steps out of the craft without a mask so yeah artwork not up to the par is what it has been in my opinion but overall i enjoyed the issue i thought it was fun and i'm really sad that this title is going away and grifter is still going on <laughs> its path Ugh. <laughs> uh.
0: But I digress. Did you have
1: any other thoughts on Voodoo?
0: Nah, I think that's pretty much it. Let's go ahead and move on. (laughs) All
1: right. Other wild storm sightings and tie ins. uh, June 6th, we had Red Lanterns on number 10, uh, which basically continued directly from Stormwatch number 9, uh, which was the battle versus Atrocious. And, uh, or was it he, or basically what we learned was that Stormwatch wants to end the the lanterns.
0: It was that he was searching for like a, uh, like a failed experiment that he had. He was trying to create a red lantern. And when he was looking for it, he found hyperspace basically and went in there and it was like, Oh, what's this big thing The you know, the eye of the storm. And he detected what we later find out is a uh, scallops and then into freeing scallops. So that kind of ties up that whole thing. Cause yeah. Uh, but that, that was the, the gist of it. And of course they have a huge battle. <laughs>
1: Yes, and if you didn't pick up the issue, Midnighter punches a cut. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes it <laughs> it's does. the main reason to pick up the issue. <laughs> yes, that that I I enjoyed that one so much more than so much number nine, and it's just because it just continued the energy from the last issue. So,
1: agreed. It actually yeah it, it helped. Uh, June thirteenth, Deathstroke number ten came out, and that was uh, Zealot, We learned was confirmed to be a Karen. Yay. And June 27th, Savage Hawkman number 10. At the end of this issue, the last couple pages, Pike appears, and he is also a cariboum. And uh, he talks about how it's his destiny to kill the Savage Hawkman, which is definitely reminiscent of his destiny to kill a wildcat in the old Wildstorm universe, which unfortunately Pike wasn't used nearly as much. Uh, he got into the cartoon and was in early issues. But after that kind of fell off. However, we did see him at the end of the old wild storm universe, uh, because he showed up in those latter issues, which was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: And for those who were worried about his design, because whoever the interior artist draws him much better than the way he looks on the cover to number 12, which is where we thought was going to be his first appearance. So, so that was nice. <laughs> anyway, let's go on and talk about what's upcoming here. Um, So on on July, oh, I guess it's not July the 4th, I guess it'll be delayed for July the 5th because of the holiday, but Stormwatch number 11 uh, will be coming out, and then on July the 11th, we have uh, Grifter number 11, Ravagers number 3, and Deathstroke number 11, which we uh, are expecting more Zelot And on the 25th of July we have Voodoo number 11 and Savage Hawkman number 11 which we assume is going to have more Pike because he's on the the cover for issue number 12 so uh, we'll see how that all works out and remember that all these books are available digitally either through DC Comics website or comicsology.com day of date every Wednesday I'll let you take us home, Ben
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you Uh, Just some quick shout-outs. as always be sure to check out Chris Stryker's Stormwatch site which is stormwatch.ws and remember to visit the higher authorities message boards, Clark's Bar, to continue the Wildstorm integration into the DCU. Um, really, if you guys love Wildstorm as much as we do, check them out because they're on top of things. So that's at theauthority.ws and. Be sure to check out our friends of the show, Image Addiction Podcast, as they cover new releases from Image Comics, and only the Valiant Podcast, as they cover the relaunching of Valiant Comics over the summer, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, and real quick on that note on that, be watching for their next episode, which is episode 76, because I leave them a special voicemail concerning the announcement that Ninjak is coming back to the the Valiant Universe. So be watching for that. It's a lot of fun.
1: For a second there, I was like, "Uh, we're doing another Wildstorm Valiant crossover? (laughs) (laughs) No. I know how that's going to (laughs) go.
0: Deathmate (laughs) 2.0.
1: Oh, God, don't even. (laughs) Um, And if you'd like to get a hold of us, uh, you can get a hold of Joe. He's twitter.com slash grifter78. Feel free to Add to the fun that he does over there. Uh, you can look me up. on am yoyomaster146 at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, uh, which is wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. You can contact us, both of us, at the show, uh, twitter.com slash wildstormaddict, or email us a question, and we will try to answer you. wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. You could look us up on our Facebook fan page, our Google Plus page, And I want to let you guys know um, we're trying to be as open as possible. I know there's a new Apple podcasting app, and hopefully we're on that. I'll have to double check. But we are now on Stitcher, and Stitcher uh, basically allows you to listen to us on your iPhone or Android phone, uh, Kindle Fire, any any phone or tablet that you can imagine and you can get it in your app store or at stitcher.com and basically it lets you listen to us without actually having to download us and you can stream us directly onto your phone or tablet so check them out at stitcher.com and that's it for us this week joe bring us home
0: (laughs) just uh you know, enjoy these last few issues of Voodoo and uh, keep following the rest of them, even Grifter. So <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see where this all goes by September when we get our new Team 7 book. So just keep listening, guys, and keep spreading the Wildstorm love. And we
1: hope there's a lot of announcements after San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. Alright, guys. Peace out.